Hello and welcome back to the Church of Jesus Christ study session with Come Follow Me. I'm your host Matthew Roberts and this is Season 4, Episode 265 and 266 of this daily study podcast. Yes, it's a double episode today. Um, obviously you'll notice that there was none yesterday, uh, mainly because uh, yesterday night, so not the night I've just had, but the night before, had about two hours sleep maybe, maximum, uh, with a couple of things that were going on. So... Uh, I needed to sleep a bit more, basically, before the day begun properly or began properly. So we'll catch up with with uh, what we may have missed today, so we can try and get through everything that we need to uh, during this week's study. Uh, so today we're going to have a look at Isaiah fifty eight thirteen to fourteen, talking about the Sabbath, which isn't very, which isn't mentioned in the Come Follow Me materials, but I think it is worth referring to. Then we'll go to Isaiah fifty nine particularly verses 9 to 21 and a few other verses and some other chapters talking about uh, Jesus Christ and uh, how he is our saviour and redeemer. So, as I say, first of all, let's go to, uh, and we'll see where we get to with that. So verse 13 and 14 of Isaiah 58 says, If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy days, and call a Sabbath um, a, d- a delight, the holy of the Lord, honourable, and shall honour him, not doing thine own ways, uh, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. Then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon um, the high places of the earth, and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. So we are given a promise about the Sabbath, about how we'll have delight in the Lord if we um, call the Sabbath a delight. Uh, And the Sabbath is such an important principle, really. And it's one of those, I think, that again, not with so much with fasting that we, um, that is underutilized, but, you know, it's one of the things that we think, oh, you know, we've got the law of chastity, we've got the word of wisdom, we've got um, the law of tithing, we've got all these, you know, big things that we need to make sure we're trying to live and do. Uh, as members of the church, but I think sometimes the Sabbath is forgotten as you know one that is very significant as well. Um, and what I like about the Sabbath is how, particularly with President Nelson, we're being taught that the Sabbath is not a checklist of things you should do and things you shouldn't do, but rather it is a sign of our commitment and a sign of our relationship uh, with the Savior um, and. Uh, how if we want to have a more fruitful, a more glorious, a more um, light-filled um, eternal life, then it's about the relationship we want with our Saviour. And the Sabbath, the way we live and act on the Sabbath is a sign for that. Uh, President Russell M. Nelson said, quote, Nothing invites the Spirit more than fixing your focus on Jesus Christ. Talk of Christ, rejoice of Christ, feast upon the words of Christ, and press forward with steadfastness in Christ. Make the Sabbath a delight as you worship him, partake of the sacrament, and keep his day holy. Um, President Nelson also, oh, close quote, President Nelson also, uh, President Ballard also said, Quote, another important doctrine that we should cling to is the to observe the Sabbath day. This helps us remain unspotted from the world, provides us with physical rest, and gives each of us the spiritual refreshment of worshipping the Father and the Son every Sunday. 
when we delight in the Sabbath day, it is a sign of our love for them. Close quote. So really, that's all I have to say about the Sabbath day. It's a very straightforward principle, but I think sometimes, as the Pharisees of old did, uh, we can sometimes overcomplicate it. And certainly we should not look at how other individuals or families um, live on this or act on the Sabbath day, because frankly, it's not really our business. <laughs> uh, we need to look at what we are doing and uh, focus on our relationship with the Lord. Uh, and that is the the way we can try and further that relationship. So we then go into Isaiah 59 and um, we're going to learn how the Messiah will intercede and uh, take upon himself the sins of of the world. Um, but before we go into like the come follow me prescribed verses, if you will, uh, I like verses one and two uh, of Isaiah 59 because it teaches us something very important about all of this in terms of sins and the Lord's influence and power in our lives may be reducing. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Um, the number of times in scriptures, you know, we talk about how the Lord doesn't hear us and how the Lord uh, was slow to respond to his people, even in the Book of Mormon, uh, because of their iniquity. Um, but this is an important reminder that he's only slow to do so because it's our iniquities that have separated us. Um, the Lord himself does not shorten his hand. He does not remove his hand from us. It's always there, it's still extended, if not even more extended when we are going through down wrong and difficult paths. But it is us that is drawing away from him and hiding our faces from him. Uh, and I think that that's an important reminder. Um, not that it makes it any easier to, you know, think about in the in the moment to turn back to him, but it helps us to understand how much and how perfect the Lord's love is for us. Um, so anyway, we'll jump ahead to verse nine onwards um, to look at the verses suggested. So. Um, we it talks about how the people are lost because of their um, iniquities and their transgressions. Um, and in verse 13, it says, In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. Um, it, it's talking again about how the people have turned away, have turned away from the Lord and meaning that he is, not able to see them, uh, but he will still reach for them. He will still um, make intercession for us uh, and bring salvation. Um, the The rest of this section is talking about how the the people have drawn themselves away further. How um, the Lord uh, is righteous, but the people have not stopped listening to him. Uh, and they need a saviour. They need someone to, to bring them uh, out of this state, this uh, this position that they've put themselves in. Uh, they need someone to come and, and have a mission to, re to remove them from that place. I want to jump ahead to Isaiah 61 verses 1 to 3. Uh, because this is um, a verse which talks about the Messiah, how he will come and be that person. But this is even more interesting because when the saviour was... Uh, 
in Nazareth and he was kind of preparing and, and beginning his earthly ministry. Um, he used these verses when he was, if you remember, he was speaking in, in a synagogue. And uh, it was tradition in those days for a individual of, of the congregation to, to come forward and read from the, the scriptures. And the Saviour selected uh, these verses to read um, to the people. Um, and what we'll do, we'll, we'll, we'll read those verses and then we'll share what he did and talk about what this, these verses mean. In verse 1 it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give them un unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And then at this point, uh, the Saviour um, stops reading and he says, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. In other words, he is saying that he is the one that is being spoken of here in Isaiah. Now, of course, the, the, the Jews um, at the time believed the, these were to be speaking of the, the, the coming Messiah, the one who would save them from their, their captivity. But of course, they were focused on their physical captivity under the Romans. Um, and of course, they, they knew of Jesus in Nazareth growing up as the child of Joseph and Mary. And in fact, their response is, is this not Joseph's son? In other words, well, we know who you are. You're Joseph's son. You're not this majestic heavenly person that's going to be that's been sent down from heaven that will save us a lion as it were that they're looking for um but of course they they did not understand uh the the ministry of the savior and what he would be saving them from not the the earthly kingdom of the romans but the um but sin and death which are worth too far greater um kind of taskmasters in in their eternal lives i suppose um so yeah this is obviously a, a significant scripture and it's significant because the savior not only has he in in third nephi counseled that we all need to study the words of isaiah but these are actual words that he used from isaiah to teach people in his own life um so having a quick closer look at these verses i mean it talks about how the savior would not just teach good tidings, but he would proclaim liberty. He would open the prison to them that are bound. He's going to redeem and save mankind. He's going to be the one who makes it possible for us to break the bands that we are chained with. Um, and then, of course, in verse 3, we have some beautiful phrases, including uh, giving beauty for ashes, oil of joy for mourning, uh, praise for the spirit, a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Um, the, the, these images, particularly the beauty for ashes, are, are well known. And it is through Christ that anything that causes ash and sorrow in our lives can come forward as beauty uh, and joy. Um, even if in the moment in the life that we are living right now, today, uh, that doesn't seem to be the case or feel to be the case, uh, the Saviour makes that possible. 
Um, now, the Todd Christofferson said, quote, It is challenging but vital to remain firm and steadfast when we find ourselves being refined in the furnace of affliction. Something that comes soon or late to all of us in mortality. Without God, these dark experiences tend to despondency, despair and even bitterness. With God, comfort replaces pain, peace replaces turmoil and hope replaces sorrow. Remaining firm in the faith of Christ will bring his sustaining grace and support. He will convert trial and blessing uh, into blessing and, in Isaiah's words, give beauty for ashes. Close quote. Um, it is a marvellous promise. Uh, and one which I think sometimes we misunderstand. I think sometimes we think it means take away ashes and put beauty there instead. That isn't what it says. It says give beauty for ashes. So we must go through and have things turn to ash ash first. But then from that ash will bring will come forth beauty. Um, I think it's a wonderful promise and one that the saviour is able to provide uh, through his atoning sacrifice. We'll then skip ahead to Isaiah 63. Um, and again, talking about the, the Saviour, how he will come in the second coming, and he will speak about how uh, he has been the one uh, to save. Now, this is kind of a, a, a conversation here between the people that will be there at the second coming uh, and the Saviour himself. In verse 1 it says, Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed gardens from Bosra? This that is glorious in apparel, travelling the greatness of his strength, I that, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. So this verse is kind of split into like two. It's the people who will be there um, at the time, and then the Saviour responding to them. And in verse 2 the people respond, uh, to say, Wherefore art thou red in thy apparel and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat? Or in, in other words, the wine press. So this is talking about how the Saviour will come in the in the second coming, and how he will not come as a as a meek lamb in a stable, as he did the first time, uh, with it into mortality, but he will come as a, a that conquering messiah that the that the Jewish people were looking for in this first coming. Um, some people will not know who he is, but they will ask, who are you that is glorious in their apparel, greatness of your strength? He will come as the lion at this time. And I like that comparison between the lamb and the lion, because of course we talk about in the millennium about the, the lion lying down with the lamb. Um, the saviour will come as both those things, first as the, the lamb in his first coming and as the lion in the second. But they mention his apparel being red. Now, the wine press um, is an interesting comparison here. And in verse 3, the Saviour uses it and says, I have trodden the wine press alone, and of the people there was none with me, for I will tread them in mine anger, anger and trample them in my fury, uh, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. So he's talking about how this wine press that he has spoken about was done on his own. And the red on him, obviously if they're referring to a wine press, um, when people used to tread on wine presses, the, the clothes they were wearing were forever stained. Um, you think of all that juice from the grapes that um, would have gotten onto their clothing. Uh, it just would not have been able to come out. The saviour, in using this analogy and this metaphor, is saying about how the sins of the world are upon him uh, and how he has trodden that wine press alone. And it was a solitary moment uh, for him. Uh, and now he can come forth and say that he is alone has done this and he's able to help us. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland said, quote, 
My Easter season message today is intended for everyone, but it is directed in a special way to those who are alone or feel alone or worse yet, feel abandoned. Those might include those longing to be married, those who have lost a spouse or and those who have lost or never have been blessed with children. Our empathy embraces wives forsaken by their husbands, husbands whose wives have walked away and children bereft of one or other of their parents or both. This group can find within its broad circumference a soldier far from home, a missionary in whose first weeks of homesickness or a father out of work, afraid the fear in his eyes will be visible to that to his family. In short, it can include all of us at various times in our lives. To all such, I speak of the loneliness journey ever made, lonely, loneliest journey ever made, and the unending blessings it brought to all the human family. I speak of the Saviour's solitary task of shouldering alone the burden of our salvation. Rightly, he would say, I have trodden the wine press alone, and of the people there was none with me. I looked, and there was none to help, and I wondered that there was none to uphold me. Close quote. Um, the Saviour loved us so much that he did this for us, and he did it alone. We know that when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane that he asked for individuals to stay and, and watch for him and watch with him, but they fell asleep. He had to do it alone, ultimately, uh, and he would be the one to shoulder his cross, and he would be the one to take upon himself um, the sins, the transgressions, and the suffering of the world. And I am so grateful to him. I am grateful uh, to our Saviour and his loving kindness uh, and how it, because of his goodness and mercy, uh, he has done this for us. He did it for you. He did it for you individually. He did it for me, just for me. And he would do it for all of us individually if it was just one person. But it is not just one person. These blessings reach with infinite power and mercy to all of mankind. And there is unconditional blessings of the atonement for all of us. Resurrection will, will be free to all. Of course, it, isn't, it was not free. It was paid with a, with a price, a heavy, infinite price of a sinless, perfect individual who took upon himself and felt the sufferings and pains of all mankind. In verse 7, it reads, I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord had bestowed on us and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he had bestowed on them according to his mercies and according to the multitude of his loving kindness. Um, it is truly a miracle. Um, it is marvellous that the Lord has done these things for us and he is the one that, tra that trod that wine press alone, but he is the one also that who, who, because of his experience, can come forth and be, say how he is our saviour and our redeemer. He has conquered sin and death uh, and now we need to follow him uh, and he will be able to help us through those difficult times. Instead of turning ourselves away from him, we need to turn toward him and he will embrace us fully uh, with that loving kindness that's spoken about in those verses. Thank you so much uh, for listening today. Thank you for bearing with us with this double episode and we'll continue with our daily doses of just under or around 10 minutes or so each day. Thank you so much for your time and until we meet again.